0: If you're in New York City or the tri-state area, listen up. This year, I'm looking to coach couples live in person on this podcast. So if you and your partner want to be personally coached on money and relationships, this is your chance. Now, whether you can't get on the same page with your spending, maybe one of you has loads of debt, maybe you're about to go through a huge life change like a baby promotion career change, and you're just stuck on how to handle the financial side of it, and you live in the tri-state area, I want to hear from you. Please apply at iwt.com slash apply. Over the last few years, I've talked to thousands of couples about their money. And now for the first time, I want to share with you what I've learned live on stage in New York City. Join me in New York on April 10th for Love and Money, An Evening with Ramit Sethi. To connect with me and other IWT listeners in New York, go to iwt.com slash live event for tickets. Presale tickets are on sale right now using code RICHLIFE, and general tickets go on sale Friday, March 8th. Again, that's IWT.com slash live event. I'll see you in New York.
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm just stockpiling money um, for, you know, when the world ends, like the apocalypse comes.
2: I think it's fear. Not I think, it is fear.
1: I don't feel like I am savvy with my money. The world teaches most people that it's confusing. And that's what I have internalized. I just, I don't understand it. I don't, from the small amount that I have been exposed to is, I would say like negative. And I'm just afraid of losing money also.
0: Well, you're losing money right now.
1: I mean, good point. Yes.
0: I mean, you lost money since we started talking.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, That's pretty sad.
0: Michelle and Dan are in their early 30s, and they make $225,000 a year. So why do they feel so bad about their money? As we're going to learn in today's conversation, Dan works in a volatile industry. He's lost his job three times in the last six years. And so he's worried about money. Michelle's response to this is to save and save and save. They've accumulated $200,000, but they have no idea what to do with it. And because they are afraid of another layoff, they are paralyzed. What do you do if money scares you and you find yourself playing defense, even though you've accumulated a lot? In this conversation, I give Michelle and Dan a lot of tools I put together a cheat sheet with all of those tools mentioned in this episode. You can go to iwt.com slash episode 56 to get the cheat sheet, which also includes the follow-up letter from Michelle and Dan. I'm Ramit Sethi, and this is I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Well, let's take a look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. So you make 220000 a year. Your investments are... 23550 Yes. So I can see why you say it's low. Okay. You may not have invested as much as you could ever should have. Okay, fine. Your savings are $200,000. That's a lot. How do you feel about having $200,000 in savings?
1: Amazing. I love looking and seeing that number in my account.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How often do you look at it?
1: Not very often. But I love knowing it's there, even just without looking at it.
0: Like how not often is how often? Twice a month. Okay. So you look at it like uh, an art collector looks at their Mm -hmm. most prized piece of art and they just feel good. Is that how you feel?
1: Oh, yeah. I feel great security and almost pride Mm. seeing that number in there.
0: Security means what?
1: Um. If something happens, we are covered. We won't be in a, we will get into a a bad financial position that will plague us for years.
0: Plague. (laughs) Wow, it's very dramatic. That also explains why your savings is at 18%, which is really high. It's probably
1: higher than that too.
0: (laughs) Is it? What is the real number?
1: I don't put a set amount. I just try to spend as little as possible. Why?
0: That sounds like a horrible (laughs) life. Why do you do that?
1: Well, I eventually like to spend it on travel. But while we're, I mean, we've, and the last two years, we did nothing because we kind of couldn't do anything because we were locked down.
0: You can't travel because you only have $200,000 in your savings account. Do you see how when you start to create these unconscious guidelines for yourself, it becomes very hard for you to change them, even though your numbers might be going way, way, way up. Did you catch what Michelle just said? She said, I don't put a set amount. I just try to spend as little as possible. (laughs) My response was, that sounds horrible. That is actually how most people live. They don't take the time to create a realistic conscious spending plan. They tell themselves, oh, I got to cut back. I know I shouldn't spend money on lattes. Oh, that cheesecake is probably a little expensive. And they do that for their entire lives. But do you know the ultimate irony? The ultimate irony is that they're not even good at cutting back on spending. So they agonize on their target bill, but they'll go and buy an expensive car that's financed on a 72-month loan. They don't understand interest. They will tell themselves, Ooh, I should get the cheaper shoes. I should, I should not get those. They're $99. But they will never figure out how much they're actually losing by not investing. What a terrible way to live. Who wants to look at the world through the lens of, I'm going to try to spend as little as I possibly can. It Just seems like a defeatist way to look at the world. I don't want to look at the world like that. I want to say, I'm going to create the richest life I possibly can. What a profound difference. That rich life might be expensive, it might not. It certainly involves me spending more on the things I love and cutting costs mercilessly on the things I don't. So this is how people go wrong with their money. It's a profoundly deep belief that they should look at the world and try to cut back on everything, spend as little as possible, not realizing that that belief is one of the things that makes them miserable with their money. And you can see this because Michelle uses words like financial plague. She has $200,000 in savings, and she's over here talking about a financial plague. I need to find out where this is coming from. Have you had any financial plagues?
2: Well, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, Michelle and I have been together for, for six years now, and for three of those years, I've been laid off. Um, My, my industry is extremely volatile. And so for 50% of our relationship, you know, I haven't had a job. And so I think there's fear, extreme fear on my end that, that comes of, uh, you know, losing out on work again, I'm in the oil and gas industry.
0: And is that normal? Like, do you expect to be laid off about 50% of the time?
2: You know, that that's, that's more than normal. Um, the last five or six years have been crazy, not even crazy swings. They've been very low lows in the the industry. So it's not usually like that, but you know, I've got, I feel like I have this dark cloud over my head and like I'm plagued or, or cursed. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: Dan, when you are unemployed, what do you do? How long does it take to get back employed? Tell me about that.
2: You know, the, Ever since we've been in a relationship, the the first time I got laid off, it was for, it was for a full two years. Like that's insanely long time. Um, and then, you know, I, I got back into my career again for another year and a half, two years. And then once again, it happened again for a full year. So they're, they're long, long stretches. Um, it's just, it's a long, long stretch.
0: What do you do during that time?
2: You know, I think, <laughs> to be completely honest. You worked. Sorry?
1: You worked for a bit, not in I your mean, industry.
2: I, I did have to eventually. Like, I, I was lucky enough to be on employment insurance, um, but it did get to a point where my bank account was getting dangerously close to zero. So I, I did have to take on another job, um, not in my normal career, where I was making a third of what I normally make you know, push came to shove and I had to do it.
0: And you were going to say something, to be honest.
1: um, I was going to say that he, he, de- he did work. Like he's not really giving himself credit. He, yeah, but he Dan, learned new
0: Dan, you were going to say, to be honest.
2: Yeah. To be honest. um, it, I think that first layoff I had the first two years, I think for the majority, I don't know, the first six months, maybe a year. I think I just felt sorry for myself and, you know, that, that didn't really do anything or change anything. I was on employment insurance, but you know, when push came to shove, like, like Michelle said, I did have to get a job in a different industry, but yeah, I I think I carry some demons from that. um, Still to this day.
0: Yeah. So Dan, you have demons from being laid off multiple times. I get that. And you're still in that industry. So it's possible it could happen again. Okay. Uh, Got it. That helps me understand why you might be playing a little bit of defense. And and what about for you, Michelle?
1: Um, Yeah, I feel like when Dan is making money, he's making great money. And he has made nominal money when he hasn't had a job. Um, But I feel like then it's my I need to take my more reliable income and save that. So then we have a buffer, like we have that fallback if, and we've, we've come to think of it not only just if, but just when he gets mm-hmm. laid off again.
0: How much of a buffer do you need?
1: Think at minimum one year.
0: Okay. One year of full income. This is a number that you should know. How much do you think you need in your emergency fund? Here's how you think about it. First, you figure out how much you need to keep the lights on every month. If you're spending $3,000 a month on everything right now, to keep the lights on is going to cost you less than $3,000 because you'd immediately cancel discretionary expenses like cable, basically most of the things in your guilt-free spending number. So let's say you're spending $3,000 a month right now, but to keep the lights on, it would cost you $2,000 a month. Okay, that would cover your rent or mortgage. It would pay the minimums on your debt. It would let you buy cheaper groceries, et cetera. Okay, great. Now you know that number. Now the next step is how many months of emergency reserve do you need? My general guidelines are three months at a minimum. So if your keep the lights on number is $2,000, that's $2,000 times three or $6,000 that you should aim to have in an emergency fund account. Now, three months is just a minimum recommendation. If you prefer six months, which is more conservative, that would mean saving up 2,000 times six or $12,000. Now, choosing that number can be an interesting exercise. During the early days of COVID, for the first and only time, I recommended aggressively saving one year of emergency reserve. I even recommended slowing down any debt payments and investments and stockpiling cash. That's because we were looking at a true financial cataclysm. Since then, things have recovered quite a bit, and I've relaxed that recommendation to three to six months. Some people might be more conservative. That's fine. Some people might be more aggressive. It's your choice, but it's important to understand the general guidelines. And unless you have a compelling reason to deviate, just follow the guidelines. It's a good lesson for life. Unless you have a compelling reason to deviate, pick a system you trust, follow it, and then move on. If you're not sure what to do after hearing everything I just said, the easiest thing you can do is set up a target of six months of emergency, keep the lights on money. Might take you two years to save it, it might take you eight years, whatever. At least you know the number and you have a plan in motion. Now, back to Michelle. I want to ask her more. About why she plays defense with her money.
1: I mean, we could cut down a lot if we needed to, but I would feel more comfortable with one year of full income for all of our current expenses. Yes.
0: Okay. Even if we did
1: cut some. Yeah.
0: That's totally fine. I want to understand it relative to the rest of your numbers, but I never fault anyone for saying, hey, I'm a little more conservative. Mm -hmm. I want a little bit more extra cash in the bank. Cool. One thing we want to do when it comes to our finances is want to understand what the cost of our beliefs are. So for example, if you have a year's worth of cash sitting in the bank, that could be fine. However, what might you be losing because of it? And so these are things we can talk about, but overall, everyone has different beliefs and Michelle, would you say that you have any quote demons?
1: I would maybe say I have subtle ghosts to use your, some of your terminology for me, yeah. like, but I think they're is in comparison to Dan, I would say no.
0: Okay. What are your ghosts?
1: Just where I think I should be based on like previous generations or, mm. you know, what society thinks you should do.
0: And what do you think that you should be doing that you're not yet doing?
1: Uh, I just feel behind. Like, I feel like we should, I don't, I feel like it's nothing in particular. It's just like a feeling. I just feel like, I guess investing would be the biggest thing. I feel like I, we're, I feel like we're already behind in the game. And catching up will take some serious shifts.
0: We're a few minutes into this conversation. And we have demons, ghosts, a plague, and an apocalypse. All with a couple who has $200,000 in the bank and an income of $225,000 every year. You can kind of understand why. Dan has been unemployed so many times, it is easy to become conservative. But there is a cost to being conservative with your money. And sometimes we need to evaluate whether their financial conservatism actually makes sense for them. Now remember, this isn't just about the numbers. It's about their money psychology. Funny thing is, we tend to overvalue math and undervalue money psychology. But in order for you to get ahead with your money and to live the rich life, you have to get better at your money psychology. To do that, I put together a free mini course on how to change your mindset. It'll walk you through the process of uncovering your invisible scripts about money and then replace them with a better mindset. I've included that in the episode 56 cheat sheet. You can get it from iwt.com slash episode 56. Now, think about Michelle and Dan. How would you feel about having $200,000 in savings? Based on the tenor of their conversation, how do you think they felt when they filled out the conscious spending plan? Listen to this.
1: Honestly, once we found out what our guilt-free spending amount was and thinking that that was all we had to go towards you know everything after fixed expenses especially travel um, I felt depressed because I quickly realized that what I have been thinking that I'd like us to do is far out of reach
0: felt depressed yes why
1: I thought that we were in a better spot than it ended up showing us. Um, And I wanted us to do the conscious spending plan um, because Dan was feeling a little stressed about me talking about some of the things I'd like us to do, primarily around travel. And I thought that this exercise would um, ease our minds that, you know, my dreams aren't bigger than, um, our reality allows.
0: So you, you're excited to travel. You plugged in the numbers. What did you expect would pop out of the conscious spending plan?
1: Just more money in our guilt-free spending, because I don't feel like our fixed costs aren't necessarily, I didn't think they were small, but we also, I don't think that we spend money frivolously on a lot of things. So I wasn't expecting the amount after all of our expenses to be as low as they were.
0: Mm -hmm. What did you expect to see when you went into the process?
1: I thought it was going to tell us we had a lot more money (laughs) than we did. Basically, I I didn't have a specific number in mind, just more like,
0: like how I would much say more? at
1: least, I would say the four times more.
0: Four times more for guilt-free spending. Yes. Okay. No wonder you were depressed. I'm going to add a new feature to the conscious spending plan where no matter what you type in, it, it you, you click submit and then it does a little processing and then it goes, you're rich. <laughs> you can buy anything you want. The only problem is, where do I go from there? Because the minute that I reveal you actually can't buy that stuff, people are going to be really mad at me.
1: Maybe a little out of reality again. <laughs> maybe that was a number. I maybe two times would have been a little more realistic if that was in my mind to make me feel less depressed. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And Dan, what was your experience going through the conscious spending plan?
2: You know, it was kind of the same thing. I think. we're almost doing it to validate to find validation that hey we're gonna have we're gonna have a heck of a lot more in our uh guilt-free spending and i know we had some we have some vacations that we're thinking of making for the future and i don't think we got that validation and i immediately felt anxious just pure anxiety this is not what we were expecting and
0: what did you both do after you looked at the numbers? Was there a moment where you looked at each other and then the music started playing? Like what happened?
2: Yeah. We we could we looked at each other and we could just tell it just like a pin dropping. And we just immediately after that, we I we just didn't want to talk about it anymore. Like we almost were just like, let's we need to drop this. Pretend yeah, we, we didn't pretend laptops. we didn't do it.
1: Yeah close the laptops, turn the TV on and like zoned out completely. Tried to forget about what we just did.
0: This is like I know you're both from Canada, but that's like the caricature of an American. They finally get up the courage to tackle their problems. They look themselves in the eye. They put some numbers in and they don't like what they see. And they go, "Uh, that didn't happen. Let's go back to watching TV passively.
1: The next day I went on and I applied for this podcast like we need some help. We need to get in here.
0: All right. So I looked at your conscious spending plan. I'm quite amazed that you two were depressed looking at this.
1: Yeah. I feel a little silly if you put it in context, like we, we aren't doing bad. I, again, I feel like maybe my dreams are I'm at the next stage with my dreams of what I'd like us to do with our life. And so I think maybe that's where it is coming from.
0: What are your dreams?
1: Just lots of travel.
0: Where do you want to go to travel specifically?
1: Um, It would be easier probably to tell you where I don't want to travel.
0: (laughs) Give, Give me the top two or three, the ones that really you love.
1: The idea of spending like two to three months like in leasing somewhere and actually since we have remote jobs working, the first place I want to go to is I want to do that in New York.
0: Okay. How much will it cost you?
1: Um, I roughly looked up like what a apartment would cost per month um, and it was around like 4000 mm-hmm. And then I thought maybe having... And then I bumped that up to 5000 to give a buffer. And then I thought maybe $2,500 per month to spend. So about $7,500 per month.
0: Great. Okay. So when can you do that?
1: I, that's as far as I haven't planned or figured out how much I need to save to do that. I almost don't think that that's real. Like I, I almost don't think that that will happen. I just like to dream about it. Of course you do. And then I did look up these numbers knowing we were coming on with you. But I still almost don't allow myself to do that because I don't know if it'll actually happen.
0: I just want to remind everybody listening that you have just sketched out this beautiful vision of $7,500 to stay in New York and have a great time for however many weeks. And you don't know if you can afford it, but you have $200,000 in your savings account.
1: I feel like that is money that can't be spent on something like that.
0: You believe that because it's one big mess of money just sitting there. That's why we got to chop it up. Yeah. We got to put it into categories. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there. It's going to haunt you. That little (laughs) ghost is going to turn into a horrible ghost. It's going to sit over you. And it's the weirdest kind of ghost because it'll turn into like a million dollars. By the time you're 60, and you're gonna kind of feel good about it, but then you're gonna call me up again, and I'm gonna be like, you know, that actually could have turned into like, uh, ten million dollars if you would properly invested it. There's something weird going on here. They have two hundred thousand dollars in savings, but they are depressed about their money. They say they want to travel, but when I ask where, they give me these vague answers. Are you noticing it? I want to dive into the numbers so that we can really find out why they feel so bad about money. And to start, I list off a few key numbers from their conscious spending plan. So just looking at just the top part of this, the net worth part, where we look at your investments are 23000 your savings are 200000 and your debt is 259000 What jumps out to you, if anything?
1: Um, just like the, the ratios are wrong. Hmm. There's, there should be way more in the investments. It should I mean at least savings to investment, I think, should be more equal. Okay. Or our debt should be a lot lower. Mm
0: -hmm. Dan?
2: Yeah, I think I think the ratio of the investments to savings is off. Like I don't think I think the cost of those ratios are that we're not doing enough for our retirement or our future.
0: You two are pretty smart. So you intuitively understand that these ratios are a bit off. What do you think is really stopping you from adjusting those ratios? Why haven't you already done it?
2: I think fear. Yeah. I think it's fear. Not, I think it is fear. I, to be honest, I most, like Michelle said, most of that is her money. Um, I should view it as our money, but I just, what fears me is getting into a scenario where we do invest a bigger chunk of that. And I get laid off again and we need access to that money, but we can't get it.
0: Is there a possibility, an option where you don't go from zero to a hundred? Maybe you don't take all the savings and dump it into the market, but rather some middle ground?
2: I think so yeah
1: definitely yeah i just don't know what that
2: i think there's still a fear there
1: yeah and what is the middle ground i'm not i'm not sure
0: okay sometimes it's just not knowing that stops us Mm -hmm. like paralyzed that's how we feel yeah we could do this it's probably a good idea it's definitely crazy what we're doing But if we make this move, we're not sure what to do, and we are worried about something going wrong. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Any of that sound familiar?
1: Yeah, Yeah, spot on.
0: So your investment is at 4%. It's pretty low, 500 bucks a month. 500 bucks a month making $220,000 a year is too low. I'm just going to tell you right now. Is the reason that you're so low on that that you don't know how to invest and you're afraid and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, basically.
0: And you said something, Michelle, what if I invest and what was your fear with investing?
1: Um, Many fears. Um, What if we can't get the money out or we're paying, um, you know, a lot of tax to get that money out if we're putting it in like a retirement fund and then investing that? Um, That's the main Fear, And then also, I just, I don't understand it. I don't, from the small amount that I do or have been exposed to is, I would say, like negative. And I'm just afraid of losing money also.
0: Well, you're losing money right now.
1: I mean, good point. Yes.
0: I mean, you lost money since we started talking.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty sad
0: you're afraid of the big wipeout. Mm -hmm. I put money in, I put 50K in and it goes down to 25K and oh my God, I lost 25K. And fair enough, okay? A lot of people are scared of that. A lot of people have people around them saying, investing is like gambling. You never know if the market's gonna be up or down. That's why you buy real estate, it's secure. They're not building any more land, all this nonsense. What most people don't talk about Is the fact that every day you are not investing, you're losing money and a lot of money because both of you in your early 30s, you have a lot of time to compound. And with a high income, that number can turn into millions and millions. And if we did the calculations and amortized it out, you know, it's possible you're losing like hundreds a day by not investing, maybe more. I don't know. Wow. So you are worried about a hypothetical loss, which over the long term is extremely unlikely, but you're actually not worried about what's happening right now with a 100% certainty. You are losing money. Putting 4% towards your investments is really based on a fear as opposed to calm, cool, methodical, educated understanding of investments. Yeah. That's depressing.
1: I mean, very. Yeah, that's more depressing than when we did the gorgeous spending on the first
0: I love it. I said I love it because sometimes you got to show people the gamut of emotions. Listen, people, this isn't a Hallmark movie channel. You didn't come here for me to blow smoke up your ass and hand you some chocolate chip cookies. Go to grandma's house for that. Sometimes money is depressing. Sometimes money is scary. Sometimes it makes you cry. That's fine. Let's accept that. And then let's make a plan. Right now, Michelle and Dan are paralyzed by all these small fears in the back of their heads. What if I get laid off? What if I lose money? What if I make a mistake? These are all legitimate fears, but they're not big enough to do anything about. And in the meantime, it's true. They are saving money. They are making progress, sort of. So why do they still feel so bad? Because those fears aren't big enough to do anything about. They're almost the worst kind of fears, like a mosquito. Big enough to annoy you, but small enough that you don't really have to do anything about it. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa-making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash Ramit for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com slash Ramit, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T for a better, smarter sleep. What are the major things stopping you from having a smooth automated system?
1: For me, um, I feel like it goes around investments where I just lack of knowledge and understanding.
0: Just so everybody knows, Michelle showed up to this call and she has a very nice plain background behind her. And there's only one thing in the shot. It is a copy of my book sitting behind her on a shelf. I mean... It's got huge fonts. It's very clearly, I will teach you to be rich. So Michelle, you own a copy of my book Mm -hmm. and yet you don't feel educated about money. Can you please explain that to me?
1: It's because I'm only on page 175. What a shock. Even though I'm reading the content and you're someone that I trust to be giving me good information, there's still that, that thing in the back of my mind, am I understanding it correctly? Will this work for me? I don't feel like I am savvy with my money. I don't have the knowledge base that I think that I should because finances are confusing. Investment, I think, the world teaches most people that it's confusing. And that's what I have internalized.
0: Who around you has taught you that?
1: Um, I mean, like the media, when Mm -hmm. you... Even when I go on to, like, I see that you like to use Vanguard to invest. I go on to Vanguard website and it's in another language. I, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure. I can read the words, but it's not connecting somehow.
0: It's confusing. I agree. Yeah. That's the reason that I wrote my book. It's like, I don't want everyday people to have to be financial experts to get their money going where they wanted to go
1: also reading it um but he's a little bit further behind than me but i'll be like oh go to page x and read this thing because it wow. <laughs> i really like the part where how dan described that um, like he has these financial demons and the dark cloud above him because of being laid off. I love in your book where you call out the crybabies because I, I told him he needs to read yeah. that chapter. <laughs> you need to stop feeling sorry for yourself. We're doing okay.
2: Dad, did you? how did you receive that comment? Uh, she's right. I mean, I didn't disagree with her. You wow. know, it's, it's sad, but I, I am like that um yeah it's kind of sad
0: i kind of like you too i mean i like a couple that can tease each other i like anyone who can make fun of themselves you know and like yeah okay boo hoo a little bit all right you know you, both of you have a little bit of like playing defense okay guess what you can play defense and still grow incredible wealth okay you need to change some of this stuff with your money you need to play offense in a couple of key areas like you need to set up automatic investing but if you want to spend the rest of your life going to the local bakery and agonizing over buying a croissant okay go ahead i don't know it sounds like it sucks to me but if that's what you're going to do fine as long as you're investing 10 to 20% and with your high incomes that's great you know we don't have to change everything about you we just have to change a couple things i'm loving the attitude here they're smiling. They're joking with each other, even though they feel stressed out about money. This is a big positive sign for me. Okay. So right now, this conscious spending plan shows 18%. I'm probably guessing it's more like 25. Uh, I don't like hearing people say, uh, I, I don't save consistently. I just spend as little as I want. That's like a horror movie to me. I don't want that. <laughs> now, I don't want way, that either. <laughs> okay. Well, you must want it in some way because you do it. <laughs>
1: True. Yeah.
0: Most people do the opposite. They go, I don't save automatically. And at the end of the month, I don't have anything left. So I can't do it. I go, that's because you're doing it manually. That's why it doesn't work. In your case, you're doing it manually, but you're saving too much. Okay. All right. Now, you know, if we just zoom out, I mean, boo-hoo, this couple makes 220K a year and they have $200,000 in savings. Boohoo. Boo-hoo. But I actually think it's a problem nonetheless. You know, you're underinvested. You don't believe you can afford a vacation. And you're playing defense by misallocating your money, mostly based on fear. So I don't want to dismiss the problem. I think it's a real problem. I think we have a pretty good shot at making some changes here. So you're reading the book. You're getting to the section where you're going to start learning about investing. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten to any
1: of that yet? Um, no, not yet.
0: Okay. Well, that explains a lot. So, as you get to that, you're going to become much more informed about investing. Um, I'm a little confused why she didn't finish the book before coming on this podcast with millions of listeners. But whatever, they're moving towards solutions. And like many people, I find that Michelle and Dan are willing to do the work. Here they are. They got a copy of the book. They're talking about their numbers. This is a very good sign. I think at a very high level, there are a few major things stopping you from getting your money in order. The first is a basic education. If you want to do money right, you got to learn the basic language of personal finance. Basic. I'm talking about what's an index fund? Why should you probably not buy individual stocks? How are you losing money by not investing? Things like that. All that's in the book. Read it. The second thing is the irregular income and the p- potential for layoffs. We need to address that because it's definitely casting a shadow over both of you, particularly you, Dan. So Dan, just a couple of questions. Do you want to stay in this industry or do you want to switch?
2: You know, that's a hard question to answer. I, I do because when when I am in the industry and uh, employed, I-, I make good money. but when I'm laid off, and as of late, there are long stretches of being laid off. It, it almost turns me off from, from doing it again and makes me just want to abandon it and not be part of it.
0: So what do you want to do now?
2: Well, I mean, after this, this last layoff that lasted a full year, I, I'd like to give myself a bit of credit and say that I wasn't a complete crybaby this time. And I started to learn some other skills. I took some other online courses. You know, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface with this new opportunity, but I feel like I do have a bit of a backup plan right now. If shit was to hit the fan again, at least I'm not completely in the dark Great. and feeling sorry for myself.
0: Okay. One thing that I, two principles that I might apply here. The first is uh, better to plan when things are good. Instead of having to make a plan when things are bad. So this is commonly found with prenups, with deciding when you start a business, how long am I going to go on making no money, et cetera? Want to make a plan when things are good. So right now you're employed. If you were to get laid off, how long would you stay laid off before you just switched industries completely?
2: That that is a question I have asked myself a lot over well, let's the just last answer it. year or two. I to be honest, I don't think I would wait for any time. I think I would just try and transition. Like I've yeah.
0: Then in that case, why don't you just start looking right now?
2: I I have fear again. There there's fear of failure.
0: Um, well, just like Michelle is worried about losing money, but she's actually losing money every day. And so are you, uh, you only, you know, and maybe luck knows how likely it is you get laid off in the next two years. But if you had to guess a percentage chance of getting laid off within two years, what would it be?
2: Oh, I think it's, I think it's 60,
0: 70%. Okay. That's cool. So that's like cool. I, I don't say cool because I'm glad you're going to get laid off. I'm not. I say it because that's like a very clear answer. You're going to get laid off. So you can either wait until it happens and then you're afraid and and you got all these financial constraints or you can start looking right now. All right. So why don't you just start looking right now?
2: I agree. It's in my best interest. Okay, yeah? great.
0: So start. There's lots okay. of ways you can do it. You, we have a dream job program or you can just look on your own. There's lots of ways to do it. But the Second principle I was going to share is the best time to find a job is when you are employed. So I love to be able to kind of groove from one opportunity to the next. It can become very tricky when one ends abruptly and you're like, oh, now I, my back's against the wall. My general principle for money and life is I never want to have to make a decision with my back against the wall. Okay. Financially speaking, I would recommend that you put some money aside now because your job is uncertain. I think it's in chapter five of the book. Basically build a buffer. In your case, because your monthly income is pretty high, you know, it might take you a while to save even a month's worth of income. But you could certainly set some money aside every single month, put it in a savings account and target, you know, like, one month, two months worth of savings. That would give you a lot of breathing room. Okay. Any questions about that?
2: No, I I love that idea. Um, Yeah, I love it. This one's easy.
0: If you have a 70% chance of being laid off, it's time to start looking for a new job. You can learn more about how to do this in my Dream Job program, which is going to help you identify your dream job, create an amazing resume, and then bypass all these other jokers who are submitting their resume through some random job website and praying someone will respond to their resume. Once you do that, it'll show you how to interview and negotiate, often a $10,000, $15,000, even $40,000 raise. You can find more info about the Dream Job Program in the episode 56 cheat sheet at iwt.com slash episode 56. All right, Let's tackle the $200,000 in savings that is just sitting there. Right now, it's just like money sitting in a junk drawer. We got to do something with it. Michelle, I think the thing about you not going that last step is really the crux of this entire call. Like, if we talk again in five or 10 years, all these numbers will just be so much bigger, but the two of you won't have crossed that chasm to actually do something with your money. That's why I'm here. I don't find there are many people who talk seriously about the importance of spending your money on the things you love. So I've talked about it a lot. You've heard it on every single podcast, but you're still stuck. What do you wanna do to solve it?
1: Take action, make a plan.
0: Perfect. All right, great. Let's talk about Michelle. Let's talk about your savings. So let's just pretend that we live in a beautiful world where everyone just listens to what I have to say and doesn't talk back. Okay. This is called utopia. Okay. And in utopia, everyone just reads my book, follows me on Instagram, subscribes to my newsletter, and then just follows my specific recommendations for the conscious spending plan. If we did that, what number would be in your savings goals?
1: Um, around
0: 10%. Yeah. Great. So then what would you do with the extra money?
1: Invest, mm-hmm. spend some. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Very good. Yeah. Great. So that money, if you took that down, which would give you roughly $1,000 a month extra? That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's pretty good. Do you want to calculate how much that money would make you uh in terms of investments?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Okay. What do you think it would if you if we just took a thousand dollars a month and until you turned 65, let's just say 30 years from now, how much do you think that would make you?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, Dan, you're the math person here. No, no,
0: no. I want to hear from you. <laughs> just guess. You're not gonna really guess, but just guess.
1: Well, I mean, I wanna say I'm 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 hoping a million. I would okay. like it to be a million. Okay. Again, I have no, I'm not sure if I'm anywhere close.
0: And a million would, where'd you get that number from?
1: Arbitrary number that I think would be nice to have in investments.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's 1.2 million.
1: Okay. That sounds amazing.
0: Okay. And that's just from a thousand dollars that you pulled out from oversaving. What do you think about that?
1: incredible.
0: It's the consistent investing every single month. Right. Okay. You, you want to play a little game just for fun? You're in your early 30s. You're at the beginning of your careers. So instead of 2000 a month, let's just say 3000 a month. Now, you may not be able to do that today. I actually think you could, but over time, your income is going to grow. You'll be very easy to do this. How much does that turn into? 5 million. 3.7 million. Just as a final example, if instead of starting it with 20K, we start with 50K out of that 200, you now have over $4 million. Wow. The crazy thing is with your income, you could actually invest pretty aggressively and take a nice vacation. You could do all these things, but you do need to make a few different choices. Investing does not have to be complicated. So many of you believe that investing is this complicated thing. You have to watch CNBC and track PE ratios and learn options trading. That is how you lose money. Investing is simple, straightforward, and boring. This is why I wrote my book. But there's one other thing that Michelle and Dan need to know. All right. So you guys can make $4 million plus, but you know, you, you, what's the catch? And so all that stuff. Fine. Finish the book. Then you'll understand... Yes. What the catches are and how i prevent you from getting tricked by the many tricks that are out there anything else preventing you from making these changes
1: i mean our mindset Mm
0: -hmm. on
1: spending our you know the money scripts that we have the just money psychology that we need to work through yeah
0: i agree i think that there's not really a powerful vision that the two of you have about your rich life. So even in your CSP, it's quite clear. It says savings for a vacation. You're saving a thousand dollars a month. That's pretty cool. I'm actually really happy to see that. Do you have a separate account called a vacation sub savings account? No. No, of course not. You haven't gotten to chapter five, right?
1: I think I just started.
0: Okay, well you will in about a day. I say this because when both of you did your CSP and you looked at each other and you're like, oh, this is kind of depressing. Like we can't actually spend the way we want. But when I look at your conscious spending plan, I go, oh my gosh, they're already saving $1,000 a month for vacations. That's amazing. And if they want to do more, they certainly could. Because you've been over-saving for a long time. I think that you have a big pot of money that just feels good. Mm-hmm. And when people start out, especially if they come from a place where they did not have money, they just want to know that they have enough. That's okay. That's the first step of money. But it's rudimentary. Right. It's an it's a amateur way of looking at money. A savvier way of looking at money is to say, okay, I have this much. Now let me break it down. I want three months or six months of an emergency fund. I want X months, for whatever. I want to have a sub-savings account for my vacation. I want a sub-savings for this and for a down payment on a car or a house, whatever. That's a more savvy way to treat your money. Money has a purpose and that purpose should align with your rich life. Yeah. What is the rich life for the two of you? sure you've talked about it.
1: Yeah.
2: We have. Um, For me, sorry, go ahead, Michelle.
1: I mean, I think just for us, again, we I know that you like specifics, so I feel like we haven't. We need to dial into way more specifics. But um, you listen
0: to every podcast episode, and you guys haven't done that.
1: Oh, we have. It's just hard. It's it's hard to I feel like we don't allow. Like I would, the blanket word would be travel. But
0: okay. you want to do it right now? Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Who wants to start? What is your rich life?
1: Do you want to start, Dan? I mean, I, I actually wrote it down. We we did this exercise and I tried to grill Dan pretending to be you. Okay. being like, go? but why? Um, I mean, it was long. I'm glad we did it before we came on here. Because Wait, did you record
0: little... this? I want to hear impressions of me.
1: Oh, I wasn't. I mean, I was just trying to emulate you, but still okay. be myself. But I was um, really trying to drive it home. Like, but why? Like, go further. Okay,
0: so let's do it. And maybe it will end up being the same thing you did. Michelle, <laughs> what is your rich life?
1: So- big things. I want to travel a lot, um, months long trips. I would love, we don't currently, but I would love to see ourselves doing more like luxurious trips, staying in nicer hotels, doing more extravagant outings. I would love to, um, live and work and experience a new city or country for two to three months every year. I want More time to spend with each other and our family, more quality time. I want to be able to be investing and knowing our money is working for us. And I want to be able to be more generous with my money.
0: Okay. Love it. I'm going to zoom in on a couple of those things. I want to talk about generosity. What does being generous look like?
1: Um, I love to buy gifts for people. Uh Um, And I sometimes feel like I can't do it to the extent that I would like to um, now.
0: So you have savings goals here of $200 a month for gifts. Yes. Do you spend that?
1: Oh, yeah. That that was based off of what we normally spend per year currently.
0: Very good. I would love
1: that to be like four times as much though.
0: Oh, okay. A money dial. I love that. I suggest moving that down to guilt-free spending because you're spending it. You're not just saving it. You're just spending it. Move that down. That will adjust your numbers for you. And I love that. Beautiful. And what are you going to spend more on? Be specific. What would you pay for? What would you buy?
1: I would love to like bring our family on more trips.
0: Okay. What else?
1: Um, Just like surprise them with things like, you know, Our mothers like fresh flowers, just like get them a flower subscription. So every two weeks they have fresh flowers sitting on their table.
0: Love it. You know, we had a student of ours in last night's uh, rich life system coaching that I did. And we talk a lot about this conscious spending plan in detail. And I talk about money psychology there. And uh, one of the students said that because of what we covered the last coaching call, she bought flowers for her mom for the first time ever. And I said, wow, how much did it cost? You know, 50 bucks. And she was just about the next day to see what her mom's reaction was. So we had this beautiful conversation about, okay, how did it feel? She goes, it felt, felt great, felt good. I said, what could you do to extend it? And everyone in the coaching program said these amazing ideas. They said, uh, you, you could buy nicer flowers. You could set it up on an auto subscription. You could, this was my favorite. You could go to a flower arranging class with your mom, turn it into an experience. You could send a note to your mom or to 10 other people and it could be free, but it's just sending a note telling them why you appreciate them. So there's so many creative ways. It could be more expensive, less expensive, more meaningful. There's so many different ways. But I love that you have some vision around gifts and it gets you excited. That's beautiful. Michelle is using money as an excuse to not spend money. And her feelings are real, but that doesn't mean that they are right. My view is it's okay to feel paralyzed, but if this is something that's important to you, it's not okay to stay paralyzed. In a way, that's why I'm so glad that they both came on this call. They are clearly taking action by showing up, doing a CSP together, and talking about this. They are on the path towards changing their behavior, which is ultimately what matters most. This is just my own opinion. Yes, if I were please. in your position, I would sit down and I would say, okay, first of all, let me finish this book so I understand the basics of finance. Then how much do we need for an emergency fund? Well, I'm pretty conservative. I want to say six months of full exp- uh, expenses, right? That's very conservative. Fine. And I want an extra X thousand dollars because our water heater might break or something like that. Okay, fine. All right, what are we going to do with the rest of this money? Well, we need to be investing and I want to reward ourselves for saving. So I want to do something special that could be a trip or whatever. And I remember Ramit showing us that the real investment gains happen from consistently investing every single month. That's how I'd be thinking about if I were Michelle. Now, if I were Dan, I would be thinking to myself, okay, I'm probably going to get laid off in the next two years. Here's what I'm going to do to prevent that. Number one, I'm going to start putting extra money aside right now. Also, then the next and most important thing I would do is start looking for a job right now before I get laid off. Boom. You do those two things, you're set. Dan, do you agree with that?
2: I do. I I think we can, I don't know, I'm kind of... I keep looking at that $200,000 and I'd like to kind of like what you said, Ramit, break that into chunks. Like I can almost see at least 50,000 of that going to investments. Maybe 50,000 goes in another account just for vacations for the next five years. That's that's a rich life for the next five years. I don't know. That's something that's jumping out at me.
0: All right. Why don't you just play that out? Yeah. Talk about the numbers.
1: So yeah, fifty thousand goes right into investing. That's kind of our lump sum.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. What about the rest?
1: Another fifty thousand can stay at least seventy five to stay in there as our emergency fund. That would at least be one of our like if I still had my job and Dan lost his. That would cover most of his salary for a whole year.
0: I don't mind if you want to keep 75K in an emergency fund. That's totally cool with me. It's more conservative than many people. But basically, here's what we know. Your savings are too high and your investments are too low. Right. You probably need to rebalance that for the long term. But you've got enough cash that you can start traveling, taking yeah. these trips, having the amazing life. How does that feel to you?
1: Good. Likely... <laughs> I feel like this is the validation that we were looking for. That like, okay, we're not that far off, but if we tweak a few key things, we are on a good track.
0: I really enjoyed speaking with Dan and Michelle. What a great couple. I received follow-up letters from them after we spoke. You can read the full letters in the episode 56 cheat sheet at IWT.com/slash episode 56. But let me give you a quick excerpt. This is from Michelle. I'm happy to say that I finished reading your book. While still a work in progress, I am leaning into the discomfort and working through any confusion so that we can move from this safe deliberation phase of just dreaming to a deliberate phase of taking action and setting up our system and actually living our rich life. We've decided how we're going to allocate our current savings account. We've updated our CSP to reflect this. And most importantly, we feel pretty good about it. Perhaps it was just good timing as the next day we saw an opportunity for a seat sale to Hawaii and booked our tickets for an adventure later this year. Love it. I'm absolutely thrilled to hear that they've started taking action and they are going on a trip together. Now, to read the full letters and to get all the other bonuses I mentioned in this episode, go to iwt.com slash episode 56 for the cheat sheet. You know, travel is one of my money dials. It's one of the areas that I love to spend money on. I travel for months every year, and I'm fanatical about the hotels I stay in and the experiences that my wife and I go through when we go on these trips. And I wanted to share another podcast that I really love called All the Hacks. It's by my friend Chris Hutchins. And Chris is the person I actually called when I wanted to build a personal playbook for how to use my airline points. I got on the phone with him and my assistant, and Chris said, okay, which cards do you have? And we went through it, and we built a personalized travel playbook because Chris knows everything there is to know about travel. And now he's got this amazing podcast that I want you to check out. Again, it's called All the Hacks. Chris has traveled to over 60 countries, mostly for free, and each week on All the Hacks, he shows listeners how you can do the same with expert guests. He even does deep dives on specific travel locations. For example, there was recently an episode with the founder of a travel company where he broke down where to find off-the-beaten-path experiences in Italy and the best way to use points and miles for your next trip there. I've had the opportunity to be Chris's guest multiple times. Most recently, we talked about money and relationships and building a shared vision for your rich life. You can check that out on episode 112. So check this podcast out. It's actually very interesting. I want you to search for all the hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.